Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Talking City podcast. My name is Dan Murphy, as ever, bringing this podcast to you from the Manchester Evening News. And with us today, as ever, is Mr. Simon Bukowski. Si, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm re- as rain because there is no rain in the sky for once. It's lovely. <laughs> Spring is here. I'm feeling rejuvenated. New life has been breathed into me. Feel the sun on my back, being able to go outside. It's it's just revigorating and lovely once again. And I'll tell you what else was lovely at the weekend. It was Manchester City cruising to the FA Cup final. A 3-0 win over Sheffield United. Comfortable as expected by the first kind of 60 seconds, but otherwise run of the mill, exactly what we kind of expected last week. And no no real hiccups, no real surprises, no real scares. Comfortable one and that big blockbuster final uh, awaits in in June. Yeah, that is going to be one one game uh, that I don't think many people in Manchester will enjoy. Certainly for the ninety minutes that it's on. But um, yeah, I mean, several changes to the team from Guardiola. We we talked about the the podcast on just how how knackering um, Bayern had been, and and when you've got players like Rodri turning around and saying, "No, I can't." I can't play. Um, you kind of know how how knackering it, it was, and just how much effort went into that game. So um, you, you know, he the manager had a few sort of selection questions for um, for Sheffield United, but the team that he picked came through, and so for the first time in in four years, City kind of turned up in a semi final, and um, and put in the performance that that got them the the victory. You know, it helps when. You've got players like Riyad Mahrez capable of scoring three goals, um, but it was a very, very satisfactory um, weekend and week. Um, and you know the city juggernaut just carries on. Yeah, of course. I mean, it just seems City are rocking and rolling now, doesn't it? It looks like nothing can stop them. We at least hope, considering what's coming up on Wednesday. And it's it's a shame for Sheffield United getting to that point um, and big achievement and obviously bigger things to come for them as well. But it does seem a little bit like this wasn't of the, all the matches of this week for City. This was obviously important, and I think De Bruyne said after the after the Bayern Munich game, "Look, I've only won the FA Cup once." It's been as we as you just said, there it's been a trophy that's kind of eluded City quite a bit because this semi final usually comes after such a draining quarter final. I think Guardiola said as much as it himself, didn't he? in his press conference saying, like, we don't want to necessarily make these changes. We don't disrespect the FA Cup by making so many changes every time we come to a semi-final. It's just that it's usually coming after such a difficult, hard-draining match that he has no choice, especially when usually there's a game three, three or four days later and they don't come much bigger than the game coming up three or four days later. But even though of the three games City have had over the, or will have in this kind of seven, eight-day period, it's probably the least important. It's still great that City have won. Even, you know, we've talked before, the game, the, the the FA Cup game with Arsenal didn't matter on the face of it. And we said at the time, maybe it doesn't matter for Arsenal on the face of it. But I think as you kind of correctly pointed out then, that loss was kind of the catalyst of Arsenal's decline, which has, you know, taken a sharp turn, a sharp nosedive in, over the last week or two. And it's important just to keep winning, getting that momentum, especially when you, you make so many changes as, as Guardiola did. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, City haven't played. Um, well, Arsenal have played two Premier League games since City last played in the league, because City have been playing Bayern Munich and um, and Sheffield United. But Arsenal have 
dropped four points in that time. So it's kind of, you know, City playing in in other competitions has has not really been to their to their detriment. And, you know, if we sort of, you know, go on about Bayern Munich or Arsenal more than Sheffield United say that that's not any um disrespect to Sheffield United, but you kind of, you know, we we'd pointed out that like Sheffield United was a game where Guardiola could make a few changes and could kind of just take that intensity and that pressure down a notch or two. Um, and it was, you know, brilliant for them that that's exactly how it played out because you, you can't just go, you know, 10 out of 10, 100% all the time. Um, and you do need your squad to be able to to win you Premier Leagues and multiple competitions. So, you know, after Saturday, City are in a final. Um, you know, Stefan Ortega with another save at the back to sort of show he can be counted on. But Mares, who was so important to them in the first few months um, after the World Cup, and then it's kind of slipped down, you know, just saying, look, I'm here and I can score three goals just in case you need that. Like, if you need someone to win a game, I can do it as well. Um, so that's a, a nice reminder. But it was just, you know, on the whole, it it was nice for a game to go for City exactly how they would hope it to go. Um, mm. and sort of, you know, give them, set them up really nicely um, for this game against Arsenal on Wednesday. Yeah, it, it couldn't have gone more better for them, could it? Uh, more perfect. Obviously, there was that brief scare in the first in the first minute when uh, Ortega had to save really well from Sheffield United's only real clear-cut chance. But other than that, brief, you know, brief scare from a set-piece, that was all. And City, I should say, couldn't have hoped for a more comfortable day to rest or at least not be able to play certain players. I say Rodri not in that starting eleven. Um, always scary when he's not in there, and yet City were comfortable without him. Um, other players got to rest um, or got to, got to be taken off um, in great time and you know opportune. Got to rest minutes ahead of this big game, and I should say Riyad Mahrez with the hat trick will kind of show him with just praise. Now the opening one was a penalty, um, which is perhaps interesting implications, which we'll touch on afterwards. But then his second and third goals were both excellent. His second goal kind of, he just, it's hard to say an amazing solo goal when the defenders were just backing off him for miles. It reminded me quite a, Vivid flashbacks to Hatton Banafa running the length of the pitch against Bolton, and it, it was it, being decried as the best goal ever when no one like made that. a tackle. Was it uh, who did Son score against for Tottenham? Oh, I know what you mean. Um, he like ran the length of the pitch, um, and Alvarez scored a similar one in the World Cup, didn't mm. he? Where the defense sort of did their best to to let him score. But yeah. but also, I, I would say with that second goal is. Um, one of the things that Guardiola has been or was critical of earlier in the season is that City were not supporting their attack with runners. Mm. And Mares doesn't yep. walk through that defence if there's not players on either side of him charging mm-hmm. through, um, you know, making it difficult for the Sheffield United defence to um, to know where to go and who to pick up. And they don't well, face exactly. players of that quality every week. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate for them, but it, it was really a moment where sort of the the class told um, from City. Yeah, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, I was going to say, it's like they were so worried about the runners make, you know, coming off as Alvarez and Haaland, wasn't it? And, you know, little surprise that Haaland's worrying defences and dragging defenders away. They were so worried about the potential pass, the potential through ball, that they didn't really, 
kind of forgot that the player on the ball was pretty good at sticking it in the back of the net himself and he finished with um, great composure. And then his third goal for the hat-trick, another assist for Jack Grealish and, he, and a first-time finish straight into the corner. As you say there, you've touched a bit on it. Mavis was uh, alongside Grealish, was the only other player. And he, of course, he didn't go to the World Cup, but to come back when domestic football returned to be going from the get-go really was really important in those months when Foden was out of the team and was, you know, him and Grealish were the ones delivering if you know, you cast your mind back to that Chelsea match, um, the 1-0, um, which was so putrid for 60 minutes. It was when them two came on and combined with Mares getting the winner and didn't get the winner against in another game against Chelsea um, the next week or whatever. So it was so important at the start of the season and especially in the cup competitions. So it's nice for him to come on and get a real, you know, Wembley hat-trick. Not many people do that. In fact, I believe it's the first one in an FA Cup semi-final since 1958 when Alex Dawson did it for United. So a great little accolade for him and you know Guardiola said after the game like he's grumpy when he doesn't play and anyone would be when you're when you're that good but he's always just there for City and these crucial moments he's a clinical clinical player he did the same um in the Champions League run to the final when he's getting the winners against Dortmund and he, he he's he may not be the greatest scorer of goals even though he was the top goal scorer last season of course even if that even if that tally's been blown far out of the water this year mm. um but he's he can just always be relied upon I say to be a winner, to be a decisive player in those moments that really, really do matter. Yeah, he's got that experience, and I mean, you know, he's he's got an incredible backing uh, of fans from Algeria because you know he's done so much um, for their country and for Algerian football, and you know he sort of a trailblazer um, in that respect, and and his name entering the record books and stuff like Wembley hat-tricks and stuff um, is something he can look back on and be really proud of as well as kind of, you know, five, six Premier League titles, whatever he he um, ends up with. I think he's got five, five at the minute, four with City and one with Leicester. So, you know, phenomenal career, but, you know, performances like Saturday are ones where he kind of nudges you and says, yeah, I'm nowhere near being finished, just in case you... You were wondering, I've still got plenty to give and I can still win big games. And, um, you know, that will be really very important for for City going forward because, you know, you never know what what issues are around the corner and, uh, and what kind of particular set of skills they might need to unlock certain defences. So ha- having a Mahrez that is, is motivated to um, to show exactly what he can do mm. is, is going to be pretty priceless in the running. Well, I think it's telling them that this is probably oversimplifying it because obviously Sterling was already kind of out of the team and wanted to go to play more football. But, it, you know, look, I've a nice side looking in. It was kind of between Mares and Sterling as the two wingers coming towards the end of the contracts, all older and maybe not guaranteed starters all the more, uh, anymore. It was between them two of which one Guardiola wanted to keep before Alvarez came in to kind of replace the one that was left. And Mares was the one that did stay in the end. And I think that shows his staying power because, you know, we praised Sterling when he left. He was such an important player for City over the years. But, you know, he's gone to Chelsea and Chelsea are an absolute basket case, but he hasn't kind of proven Guardiola or City wrong for not playing him more, has he, when it, since he's gone. He's not exactly made a, made a, made a kind of a bit of fool of City, like maybe Zinchenko and Jesus have done in a slight respect. That's, again, oversimplifying it. But Mares was the one who stayed when maybe a lot of people would have thought it'd be the other way around. Because I don't think I don't think Mares gets a lot of the appreciation he might deserve sometimes. Maybe because he's a bit, bit languid, a bit kind of not quite as explosive or great on the ball dribbling wise. He he kind of goes under the radar a little bit just for how kind of good he is and consistent he has been since he came to see. 
Yeah, it's um, I I don't know if it's because kind of when he was at Leicester, he was part of that like real counter attacking team, um, and City aren't so much counter attacking. So when you know he's um, he's on the ball, he's got such a lovely first touch, but maybe um, you know other players move it move it forward a bit quicker than him. Uh, but that might be doing him a disservice. But but that is kind of I don't know the perception you you might have. But also you know there's just really really good players in his position um you know Foden and, and Grealish Grealish is playing like a hundred million pound player and and Foden had had been playing at that level um before his injury so it's um you, you're up against it and it, also throw Bernardo Silva into the mix who can can press like nobody's business so yeah I mean it's I, I think what uh Zinchenko and Jesus show is sort of what what doesn't really get um the credit is the kind of what's the, I don't know what the word is but just the the qualities that are needed to stay competing in this in this city side because you know Sterling Zinchenko Jesus all decided you know what I've had enough of this kind of Guardiola management and constantly mm. being you know, my place in the team being under threat or not guaranteed. I want to go elsewhere and be, you know, Jesus, I want to be the nine at Arsenal. Fine, Zinchenko, I want to play every week at Arsenal. Fine. Which, and all credit to them, but the players who stay and keep fighting for that place um, every season, which which Mara has done now for for five years, um, that is, is a really difficult thing to do and you need to be, you know, not many players can do that. So kind of the... Mm. The longer you stay playing under Pep, um, the more the more credit you deserve. Absolutely, and and he, as I said, he scored the opening penalty. Um, first of all, I was kind of dumbfounded to see there was debate over this being a penalty at points. I I, I didn't watch the game live, but I'd heard talk that it wasn't <laughs> a penalty, and I'd seen people moaning. And then I watched it and saw Bernardo just get kicked <laughs> off the ball, you know, just completely yeah. whacked in the penalty box and go down. Like I I don't really see. You know, there's a lot of conscientious penalties in football these days. You know, we saw two last week um, in in Munich. Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. This is not what I was expecting when I heard there was a controversial penalty. I must, I must say. <laughs> no, it's. Um, I, I don't know where the controversy came from. I think everything has to be controversial now. But of course, of course. Ca- can you get less controversial than like somebody booting somebody in the foot after they? Directly Seems after they've nicked the ball away from them, mm. um, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, I, what you were getting onto is the Maris taking it, aren't you? Rather mm. than rather exactly, than Harland. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously Harland missed his in Munich, skied it, and then Maris, who has missed his own a fair few of his own um, in the past, in the recent past, in the Champions League this season. No, at Dortmund. Yep. I want to say. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, no well, Mara's missed, and um, and Guardiola said, you know, it's time for him to to step back a bit from from mm. penalties. But but also, the manager is someone who will let the players decide who who takes it. And you know, I think there's clear value in having a set penalty taker. Um, but at the same time, like so many things with Guardiola that just kind of get into your head, and you're like, maybe that is mm. the right way to do things after all. Um, there is kind of logic in having a few players who are up Ooh. for it and um, if a and keeper can't prepare, take it. Yeah, yeah, but also you know because 
Har you know, Haaland against Munich, it felt like he was almost kind of too fired up for the penalty. And especially mm. with the weight. And then it was almost like, right, I'm going to make you pay for waiting it here. And then he absolutely blasted it over over the bow. And normally he kind of goes bottom corner. And you were like, oh, as... And I think he, um, he didn't take a penalty in a recent game when he sort of wasn't feeling fully fit. Um, mm. I think Maris might have taken that one. So you... I, th I think there are times when, you know, certain players say, look, I want to take this penalty. And if everyone else says, okay, then um, then fine. And Maris is someone that however many times he misses, he's going to step up and say, mm. I'm going to score the next one. Um, and that is quite a valuable trait to have. We've, we've been talking about it for Haaland with like, not just penalties, you know, in Munich, he, he scored his next chance. Um after the after the penalty, so um, you know City do do have Maris who is always going to put his hand up and say, "I want to take this penalty." And obviously, the respect is there from from the teammates to um, mm. to to allow him to take it. What what I sort of thought was quite um, interesting as he took it was, you know, as as everyone kind of runs into the box for the follow up. Um, Haaland was kind of behind two Sheffield United defenders and then sort of checked his run and arced the other way so that he was uh, completely free in the box if the penalty had been saved and sort of gone gone free to him. So, it, you know, Haaland has this kind of knack of popping up in the in the box at, at the right moment, at the right time mm. um, and the ball coming to him. And that was kind of another moment of, you know, it might seem like it's luck, but actually he's deliberately gone away from two defenders to create space mm. for himself. So it, it didn't matter in the end, but it was kind of another moment of um, Haaland's game intelligence that doesn't necessarily get mm. get picked up on. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's certainly good that City have so many penalty takers. You know, the final that going off um, Sunday's uh, semi-final could well go to penalties eventually. And then, you know, Champions League ties coming up, Real Madrid, a final, hopefully... A penalty shooter could come, and the more players you've got comfortable taking penalties, you know, off the top of my head, this season alone, Mares, Haaland, and Alvarez have scored from the spot. De Bruyne has done it in the past. Gundogan's done it in the past. I think the likes like Walker and Stones have taken them before Laporte, I think. So it's good. Rodri as well, I'm pretty sure, took him at the World Cup for Spain. So, so many you know, penalty takers comfortable with it. It's it's good to, it's certainly a good kind of little weapon to have in the back pocket if it's ever required. And listener, we're going to take a little break there and then we'll come back with more weapons in our pockets and we'll continue to talk about the FA Cup so don't go anywhere Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. As we said, side there was a lot of changes from the team. Sergio Gomez being the, the the real surprise. I think that's if it's not the first time he's played a full ninety minutes, it's certainly one of the very very few. And you know, as you said, Stefan Ortega came in, but quite worryingly, there was still no room in the starting eleven for Calvin Phillips. I still don't think he's kind of notched over six hundred minutes for City. I don't think he's started a league game yet, has it? If he's even got over half an hour of Premier League time under his belt, it's looking quite bleak for him. Because in the, the you know, if Rodri's he's here to replace Rodri, and if he's not replacing Rodri, what is he ever going to do? It's quite worrying for him. Yes, yeah, not not very good. Um, 
Yeah, he came on and he had 40 minutes against Leicester. Um, and that was the most he's had in a Premier League game for City. And uh, <laughs> by his own admission, he said he'd had a bit of a stinker um, on match of the day. Yeah, it really wasn't wasn't good. Like collided with Edison to sort of gift Leicester a goal and just kind of, yeah, City, City lost their intensity with him. But it was still kind of, I think there was still an expectation that Phillips would play um, up until about Friday's press conference when Guardiola was asked about him and said, no, he, he's still not at the levels that um, that he needs to be. There's kind of a frustration from the City and that they're not seeing kind of the player that they bought. Um, and, you know, obviously it's, it, it, it's difficult for for player and club but like you say if he can't even if he can't oust Rodri from the first team that's unfortunate but if he can't even get a game when when Rodri isn't playing um then wh- when is he going to play um it wouldn't you know you'd now be surprised if he started this season in in any other game for city because all the games are so important like it's going to be Rodri or as Saturday showed um, Ilkay Gundogan in the holding role as well. So it, it looks like he's kind of third choice in a, in a band of two. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of players are better in the second season under Guardiola. Um, so, so there is that, you know, Grealish we've spoken so well about this season. Um, struggled last season. Bernardo Silva didn't really make that impact in his first year, so so it's not unheard of to struggle in your first season. Rodri, Rodri took a long time to impress the fans, um, but as far as this season goes, it, it doesn't look like um, there's any kind of salvation for for Phillips. Yeah, absolutely. I think as we said, there's we've given so much leeway to players, and often said like you know, it's, it's usually more for attackers. But as you made the good point, if even Rodri kind of struggled his first year, and it takes so long to get used to Guardiola's demands and his, you know, such a unique methods. Like maybe even Phillips, who you know we shouldn't forget either, has had to deal with the World Cup and was injured for a big chunk of the, um, the early start of the season. He's basically playing catch up. You know, if even Grealish, who had a fully fit season, and Bernardo and Mares and Rodri, if even they needed a year to get to the level they're at a fully fit season, Phillips has basically had half a season. And if you kind of put into the fact that he's not a regular starter, like most of those were, even if they weren't playing the best, they were starting all the time and always constantly learning and getting used to it. If you're not playing as much, it's going to take longer. And I think that would be my worry. Is he ever going to play enough to get up to scratch, even in a second season? Because I think when, when he signed, I said something along the lines of, this kind of coming off the back of his really impressive Euros performance, like he's shown enough on the ball and his passing ability that he could maybe be a replacement for Gundogan instead of what we all thought as a Rodri alternative. And maybe that's still a way, like kind of a, a route for him because Gundogan's future is still beyond certain as is Bernardo. So City are going to need Phillips next year. I don't think there's any argument of him going because they're all likely they could lose one or two of the most important midfielders um, if they stick with their kind of usual. Um, stance of letting players go if a bid's ever come in for him in, in the case of Bernardo. So Phillips is going to be needed, you'd imagine. And I just wonder if he's if he's ever going to get enough game time. It's not going to be instead of Rodri. Is it going to be in a more 
like number eight role, a bit more dynamic, kind of going forward and backwards instead of just the, the sitting role. Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? But if it's... they get Bellingham, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it's just it's just really weird that you know someone who had done so well for England and continues to make um, squads and teams and things, um, and who was you know so essential to Leeds in the Premier League, kind of now isn't trusted to start against either Premier League teams or Championship teams. Um, it, it's it, it's just been... I, I don't think it's been what anyone has expected. Because, um, again, when he signed, everyone was saying, oh, this is great business and um, what a player, what a move. And, and, and it just hasn't ha- hasn't happened. He, he's never had kind of a lift-off moment. He's just always looked like he's um, struggling to... To adapt and like you say, he's had a lot of injuries. Um, but yeah, for for the, for the manager to sort of still be saying we're not seeing the best version of him um, is kind of a worry because it's one thing not getting into the team when you're sort of get doing everything to to knock down that door, but it doesn't sound like he necessarily is doing that at the minute. Um, mm. So he, I mean, probably needs to concentrate on that rather than thinking about any other positions well talking players who did kind of play and have a good afternoon uh phil Foden back he came off the bench a really welcome return after he was an unused substitute in munich and um harlan and Grealish both starting if there, was, if there was one player out of kind of bet on not playing after wednesday it would have been Grealish. he put in such a shift at the end of the game he was kind of just on his back on the floor absolutely goosed but he started again as i say set up a goal looking brilliant as ever and and Haaland starting, I actually did think Haaland would start, but I know you were um, going the other way. So were you surprised to see him kind of lumber up in that start eleven as he as he often does? Yeah, I was. Um, and there's a lot of Norwegian journalists who are very surprised to have seen him start so many games for City. Um, I think he's already played more this season than he did for Dortmund last year, um, or in his best season for Dortmund. So he's um, the the fitness and care that he's taking care of himself is. Is, is pretty exceptional and, and the same for um for, for Grealish I think Guardiola said when they got back from Munich Grealish was kind of straight into the recovery area doing his work so you know for a we've said it before but like for a lad who's known for his his party and he, he really does um put in the graft during the season when he needs to and and looks after himself and it, it's pretty special conditioning to be able to turn yourself around so quickly so you know that obviously helps Guardiola pick a strong team you know he did rest a number of players but he's always spoken about kind of respecting the FA Cup with the lineups and and I th- I think before he's kind of picked too many players in the semi-finals that are out of form um but when you've got a team that's got Haaland and Grealish and um Gundogan and Bernardo Silva uh and and Mares I suppose as well and then you know players in the back line that obviously played in in Munich as well so th- there was there was more than enough um for for what was needed but he, he the manager will absolutely love the fact that those players made themselves available because like I say when even kind of Rodri's on his knees you you know it's been knackering for everyone mm-hmm. yeah well as I say it's good that 
it was a comfortable afternoon and they can, you know, almost rest up on the pitch because that was the kind of the issue he said against Bayern, wasn't it? City didn't have the ball enough to be able to rest in when they had the ball. They could pass the ball about, rest up while in possession. Against Bayern, they never really had the opportunity to do that because the game was so stretched so often. But against Sheffield United, in contrast, it's pretty much all that happened in the second half, wasn't it? Like a dull affair in the end, a comfortable win for City, but it was kind of necessarily dull in the fact that City didn't want to be running for 90 minutes. They wanted to make it as kind of comfortable, easy on the legs as possible for you know the big game that's to come uh, later on this week. Yeah, like especially if you've had such an uncomfortable time against Bayern. And that was kind of probably, I know they, they expected it to be tough, but I don't think they expected to have as little of the ball as they did. Um, so just being able to get that goal before half-time, because also if it had been nil-nil um, at half-time, it would have been sort of a, a bit more difficult, but just getting that lead before the break and then um extending it when they did it just just allowed you know not just players to rest up from the start but also it means you know Harlan can come off with 20 25 minutes to go and and things like that it, it, those you know little um things can can make a, di- a, a difference mm. and now you know not not that you would anyway but now you sort of say well there's absolutely zero chance that Harlan wouldn't start against um, Arsenal and Grealish and the rest because they've uh, they've had their they've they've had the time and now they're ready to go again. Absolutely. Well, the the last kind of thing to touch on on the game is the fact that sadly and maybe predictably there was quite a lot of empty seats at Wembley and it's kind of this debate that comes around every year of should the semi-finals still be at Wembley too? Northern teams having to trek down on the same weekend as the London Marathon. And it's been it's, this debate has been raging on since City were first in the uh, FA Cup semi final um, in 2011. I, I did a little piece about that, and back then, Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson was moaning about it being chaos because all four teams in the semi finals that year were from the north. There was Liverpool playing Arsenal on the Saturday, on the Sunday, and there was a London Marathon. So for 12 years, this debate has been raging on at the minimum, and nothing is yet to change um, apart from the, the kind of the seats for such a such an occasion I kind of visibly empty at times and that's no surprise because I think I saw one City fan say something like this was his 21st trip to Wembley and I can only imagine that since that two, that first one in 2011 so 21 trips in 12 years it's more than nearly two a season isn't it it's a lot of a lot of trips to the same old stadium it might be special um for the fans of clubs who don't get there very often, but for City, it's, come, it's become a second home at this point, and especially now in the cost of in a cost of living crisis, the the cost of getting there, of potentially staying over or getting back, and your ticket and your food, drink, etc., and so on. It's ridiculous, and the fact that it's still at Wembley now, it's it's where where do you stand on it? Because I I, am, I must say I am torn as a fan of a team who doesn't go very often. If if my team hadn't got there twelve years ago, I wouldn't have been able to go. And I really wish I didn't, considering what happened. <laughs> but it would have been until I would have been 27, 26, until I first saw my team at Wembley. And that one went a lot better. So maybe it would have been for the best. But like it, for some teams, it is worth it. And some because you may never get another chance. You know, those Sheffield United fans, playoffs aside, may never get to go to Wembley for, for quite a long time. Likewise with Brighton, even though I know they got to one relatively recently, um, 2018, was it? So it's a it's a weird debate, but for teams like City and United and whatnot who go so often, I can imagine it's I can understand quite easily why it doesn't sell out and why some fans can't can't be bothered going. 
yeah, I don't I don't like the semi-finals at at Wembley. I feel like it kind of takes away the what what makes the final special. Um and I quite like the idea of neutral venues. I think it sort of that creates a buzz. It, at the same time it's kind of like a, a, a what, the debate's kind of never going to change anything because it's kind of ultimately the the financial commitments that the FA have got in being so committed to Wembley um means that the semis have to be at Wembley and there's no there's no debate in it and there's no you know anyone changes it it's it 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 goes into one of those things a bit like um you know the Premier League um caring about fans having to travel for late kickoffs or you know unreasonable kickoff times or how like every uh fixture release seems to be delayed for largely unfathomable reasons to give sort of uh fans no real time to to make plans or change plans or or anything like that or and you know ticket pricing in general um where you kind of think wouldn't it be really nice if if these things were put under consideration but you kind of know that there's absolutely zero chance that they will be put under consideration so you know i'm sure i'm sure the final will be good and um, you know hopefully everyone who went to the semi-final enjoyed it um but it yeah it it's not not something i particularly like no i know but that's sadly the uh the the baffling confines of football which continues to just do stupid things for no real reason other than money well, well for course. money yeah yeah exactly exactly the root of all evil isn't it but you know i hope it's a good job you're not Pep Guardiola, though, because you might well bite my head off when I broach the next topic to you, because we're going to get to treble talk now. I don't know, if, dear listeners, if you saw Guardiola's press conference on Friday when someone had the temerity to ask him about the treble, but it was very funny. I'd recommend going and watching it. But it's become even more of a possibility now, of course, and as we, mate, I think we call out this possibility... Yeah, it was you that did now. it. Yeah, yeah. Mate, it's tantalising. The FA <laughs> Cup final with Manchester United will be June 3rd. And if, if, if City get past Real Madrid, a week later, the Champions League final will be on June 10th and City would be facing one of the Milan clubs, AC Milan or Inter, two teams you'd expect City to beat. So, in all likelihood, or potentially a very strong likelihood, in that FA Cup final on June 3rd, United will be standing in the way of City going to Istanbul to win the treble and equal, well, providing City win the Premier League, of course, getting a bit ahead of ourselves there. We still got to talk about that. But United could very well be the last thing stopping their neighbours, their noisy neighbours from going to Istanbul and equaling their greatest ever achievement. That's going to be some, some occasion. Yeah, um, you know, this week is a big is a big one for the treble because it it feels a lot closer because of the progress in the cup competitions but the league is still the one mm. that you know they're still five points behind Arsenal however um they play Arsenal at home on Wednesday night and then play Fulham on Sunday when uh, Arsenal's game has been moved um from the weekend uh, because of coronation, I think. Yes, that's right. Just, they're um, playing Chelsea as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, so, it, so City could be top of the league by the end of this week um, if they beat Arsenal and Fulham, and they would have a game to spare. 
uh, a game in hand. So so that would really kind of um, make them real favourites for the title. Arsenal's fixture list is horrendous. Like I know they've only got one game a week, but they've got City, Chelsea, Newcastle away, who looked pretty good as much as pretty good against North London clubs. I heard. Yeah, yeah, um, and then Brighton. Um, and then they kind of finish with Forest and Wolves, so not not the worst ending, but like that is that is tough. Um, so they need every bit of kind of help and momentum they can get. So we're all talking about a treble. If Arsenal turn around and beat them on Wednesday, then we will be talking less about it. Um, mm. Even though kind of Arsenal need to win a lot more than City need to win now because of the the way they've dropped points in recent weeks and City have. Have crept up on them, but uh, but but yeah, I mean, City have never got this far in their treble quest um, by virtue of them kind of losing every FA Cup semi final, pretty much under under Guardiola, or you know losing a, another competition here and there. So um, it it is exciting and it is worth talking about, just not worth bringing up with no. with Pep. Um, but, I can't wait to see someone do it this week. I cannot <laughs> wait. It's going to be so funny. I, well, you know, I do it just it, to take the nick. Yeah, you know, it is a talking point. Um, but you kind of know what answer you're going to get from him. Mm. You know, he kind of said, oh, I'll discuss it ahead of the Champions League final once we've won two cups. Um, mm-hmm. So so maybe when they, if they beat United in the FA Cup, having won the league, he will be very happy to uh, discuss it then. But you sort of think he won't be. Um, mm-hmm. But it is it is very exciting and and like you um, you teed up a few weeks ago like what an FA Cup final um, you know it, it's a huge game between the two clubs anyway it's the first kind of final between them mm. um, there has been uh, and on top of it you have this this weight of history where you know United could be standing in the way of City's treble and City could be knowing if they beat United, they're one step closer to, to matching something that only mm. United have ever done before. So it's um, it's a really, really exciting end to the season. Um, but first and foremost, this, this week is, is huge for, for City. That sounded like Pep then, didn't I? Every, <laughs> every game at a time. One game at a time. First things first. And yeah. we will talk about first things first, just after the break, where we will hear from our colleague at the Arsenal away, Umar Chaudhry, with some opposition analysis ahead of the, you know, it's in both teams' hands. Such a rarity. And we can't wait to see how it goes. So we'll be back in just a moment to discuss all of it. But first, here's Umar. for having me on the Talking City podcast guys it's a big one it is a big one on Wednesday night as Arsenal face Manchester City in a potential title decider at Etihad Stadium as an Arsenal fan I'm nervous for this one Uh, if I'm honest I think recent results haven't helped Um, it seems that Mikel Arteta's side have handed the initiative back to the citizens in this title race. And to be fair, Manchester City haven't had to do much if we're being completely and brutally honest. I think Arsenal's recent results have been poor, have not been good enough. Um, Obviously, the 2-2 draws against Liverpool and West Ham United, respectively, 
Um, not good enough, if we're being completely honest. But those things, I think, can happen away from home in a tighter race. But it didn't help that we were 2-0 up in both games and we were in cruise control. We were dominant and it seemed for all the world that Arsenal were going to take three points in both games. But obviously, things happened. Um, nervousness creeped in. Arsenal got a bit edgy in moments where they probably shouldn't have. And yeah, they dropped points. But I think the recent result on Friday night was the most worrying. If you're, if you're a Manchester City fan, if you're Pep Guardiola, if you're Erling Haaland, you are essentially licking your lips because you smell blood. You look at this Arsenal team and you feel that the pressure has just basically has basically ended their hopes. We're not the favourites. Manchester City are expected to go there and get the job done, probably comprehensively. So what we have to do is we have to be defensively solid, number one. We have to play our own, our own game because... As much as we have to look at Manchester City and stop them playing and hampering them, we can cause Manchester City problems at their tier. We've got the likes of Bukaya Saka and Gabriel Martinelli for me. When I look at them, they're one of the two best 21-year-olds in world football right now. I thought their performance against Southampton was incredible. They carried us over the line. They're probably the reason that we picked up a point from that game. You include Martin Odegaard in that. Just as good. Just as phenomenal. And these are the players that can hurt Manchester City. Obviously, they still doubt over Nathan Ake. Nathan Ake, when he was coming up against Bukayo Saka in our previous two games this season against Manchester City, he, he kept, he kept Bukayo Saka quiet, if I'm being honest. He kept him really, really quiet. And Bukayo Saka, it seemed that he didn't enjoy playing against Nathan Ake. Because Nathan Ake, when it comes to defending one-on-one, he is solid. He is really, really solid. But obviously this talk that he may miss this game against Arsenal. Obviously he picked up the hamstring injury against Bayern Munich over in Germany in the Champions League. So that could be a positive for Arsenal. A point at the Etihad will be good for Arsenal. A win would be... There's so many superlatives that I could use, but a win will be fantastic. I will be over the moon with three points because then it will be firmly back in our hands. But a draw, even though it will be back in Manchester City's hands, I still think this twist and turns to come in this tie race. Manchester City still have a two-legged Champions League affair with Real Madrid, European champions. I think that will take a lot out of them. I'm torn in terms of what formation Arteta will look to play. In the back of my mind, I'm honestly thinking back three. I'm honestly thinking back three. I think it's an opportunity for us to look to stifle this Manchester City defence. If if you offer me and ask me what team I would like to play for this game against Manchester City, I'll probably go with Aaron Ramsdale and goal. Uh, a back three of Ben White at right centre-back. Gabriel in the middle. Kieran Tini at left centre-back. Bukaya Saka as right wing-back. Granny Shaka and Thomas Partey in the middle. Martin Odegaard just in front of them. Gabriel Martinelli as a left wing back. And then two strikers up front. Gabriel Jesus, he picks himself, I think. The name picks itself. He's been phenomenal for Arsenal this season. And then potentially you go with Eddie Nketiah or Leandro Trossard alongside him. 
I think Arteta has a lot to ponder, a lot to think about in this game. I think if we go with the back four, I'll be worried, if I'm honest, because I look at Rob Holding right now, we can't afford to put him in this team. We just can't. Not against Erling Haaland. Because we could be in trouble. And this game could be done within the space of 20 minutes, similar to what Newcastle United done to Tottenham. And Manchester City have the ability to put us to the sword. And they have done it in previous years. And they have put five goals past us. So we can't afford to make the same mistakes to what we have done in previous years. As an Arsenal fan, I'm going to keep the faith. I think we can go there and get a result. It needs to be one of the best performances that we've ever done. In terms of a score prediction, I'm going to go for a high-scoring 2-2 draw at the Etihad. I can't see Arsenal winning. I think right now, a draw, I would take. I would take it any day of the week. I'll bite your hand off for it. I think a Manchester City win on Wednesday night, the title is done. It's done and dusted. A win for Arsenal, and I'm dreaming again. A draw, and I'm still nervous, but I still think, in the back of my mind, there's still many twists and turns to come, and I can see Manchester City dropping points. I think a draw on paper, it will be a good result. But let's see what happens. But anyways, back to you guys, and fingers crossed, the title race swings back in Arsenal's favour come 10pm on Wednesday evening. Cheers, guys. Well, thank you very much for that, Uma, and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Well, Simon, the big one is here. We've been looking at it. This date has been in the calendar for weeks. We've been eyeing it with joy and trepidation and excitement. Averton Coles are in a final on Wednesday. Can't wait. That's what really <laughs> matters. That's where I'll be. But I'm sure I'll have this on my phone as well because it's yeah. This is the match, the the one where it could all go down, and it was set up. Almost, oh, it's just, I'm just very happy Arsenal's little bottle job has come <laughs> right at this time. Because if it had come any earlier, this game might not be quite as uh, quite as massive as it is. But it's all on the line there. And maybe it's just what Arsenal need themselves as we'll get into. Because they once again dropped points this weekend. They played bottom side Southampton on Friday and could only draw 3-3. But instead of uh, going 2-0 up and throwing it away, they actually went 2-0 down to the bottom team. And of course... Theo Walcott, of all people, the man who's gone through on goal so many times for Arsenal in the past and failed to find the back of the net, did it this time for Southampton. It was actually quite funny because before the City-Southampton game a few weeks ago, Walcott was asked before it what he'd like to do his old club a favour. And he said, yeah, we'll try, but I'm doing it for Southampton and how the turns table on that front. But um, uh, Arsenal pulled one back through a sack of penalty and it went to 3-3. Sorry, it went 3-1. And then in the last dying moments, Odegaard, and, oh man, who scored the equaliser now? Top of my head. Um, Saka, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Got it up to 3-3. It was a pulsating match. So good. I think it shows the quality of the Premier League where I believe those stats going around that no team bottom of the Premier League had ever won at the team at the top away before. And it so nearly came to pass, which just shows how how competitive and how fun this league has been. And yeah, it was a it was a great game. But I think the, the silence and the kind of collapse of the players, of the Arsenal players at the end of that match kind of told its own story. They, I think they know have thrown it away now. You could argue the Liverpool one, West Ham, maybe you're allowed two, but three against the bottom teams. You can't be doing that and win the league, I don't think, unless of course Wednesday goes their way. Yeah, it, it, it it's felt like, like I say, City have been, City have been closing on Arsenal without even playing, um, mm-hmm. which is not a position you be you want to be in if you if you're uh, top of the league. I was um I was speaking to Colo Torre today 
Um, name drop. We, name drop. Uh, peace out on Tuesday, so I won't say too much about it. But but obviously he's in a really interesting position, having been kind of won the title with the Arsenal Invincibles, where they kind of led all the way, and then won it with City in 2012 when they thought they'd thrown it away, and then came back to um, to pip United and and beat them on on goal difference with with the Aguero against QPR. So uh, he was just kind of really interested on, you know, mentality and how hard it is to kind of pick momentum back up when when you've lost it. And, and obviously City are the, the team with everything going for them um, going into Wednesday. And Arsenal, it, it, you know, it, it really is on Arsenal to, to come out and provide a surprise because I think now, you know, the, the expectation is is firmly with City. Um I think, you know, did Gary Neville ever change? Gary Neville was one of the ones who kind of always strongly said City would win the league even when Arsenal were were going. But I don't know if even he wavered at one point when it looked like Arsenal were just going really... They, they responded superbly to City beating them in February and, and you thought, oh, yeah, this really will go all the way. And now you wonder if um, those draws have kind of... Uh, scuppered them the, the one thing you would say with Southampton at least is that they came back because mm. against Liverpool and West Ham it was throwing away two goal leads so you know having gone 3-1 down everyone wrote them off um, and they managed to come back from from 3-1 to, to get a 3-3 which a bit like um, I think City drew with Sunderland 3-3 in the 2012 season and it, it felt like a bad result um, but turned out to be a really crucial point so um Arsenal kind of have to channel whatever they conjured up in the final five minutes and and put that over ninety five against against City. Yeah, it was a remarkable final ten minutes of that match. The I don't think the Emirates has ever been that loud unless there was a gig there or something because it was just <laughs> a cacophony of noise. It was quite spine tingling to watch. And you know if they can kind of as you say replicate that sort of atmosphere, the travelling fans at the Etihad, it'd be quite be, it'd be quite something. But it's a game they should have really gone on to win even in that situation and maybe that was why it was such a deflation they had the chances to win it in that eight minutes of added time and Southampton hanging on by the skin of their teeth because of course they need those points as well yeah I say it was it was an excellent match and I, I do wonder now if if the City game's kind of coming at the the good time for Arsenal as a, in a way because it's, it's boom or bust for Arsenal now isn't it it feels they're in a position where the win and it is theirs isn't it and that the boost it could give them they're not quite at the point yet where even winning it wouldn't matter that much. They've still, it's still, as I said, as I said before this, it's in both teams' hands, and they only need to, both of them just need to win other games. And Arsenal still can do it. They've had three draws. They've not actually lost. They've had three draws. Disappointing, heartbreaking in a lot of senses. Really hard to kind of bust, you know, get yourself back up from. But if they can, this is the sort of match that could get you back up for it. If they can bring, you know, as you say, them fans are going to be, as long as they don't, as long as Haaland doesn't come in the first 80 seconds and just ruin it, they'll be up for that. They'll be loud. They'll be, as I say, I imagine recreating that Emirates atmosphere in the last 10 minutes there. If they can get the win here, that'll be just boost them going forward for the rest of the season. They said they will have seven points clear, which is still ahead, even if City's game's in hand. And if they lose, they'll lose anyway. So it's almost as if they've got nothing to lose now. It's boom or bust do it or don't and I think it's got the makings now of just a thrilling match and it's really going to be intriguing how City go about it do they try and like kind of like the buying game kind of play it a bit stretched and try and do do them with their kind of superior um, attacking might especially when Arsenal's defence is going to be without William Saliba a massive loss because you imagine 
Erland Haaland is rubbing his lips at the thought of coming up against, and it pains me to say it as a Bolton boy, but Rob Holding, I do not think he's in for a very good <laughs> afternoon. But Arsenal on the same breath have great attacking talent of their own, so it's got, it, it's got the makings of an absolutely all-timer. I like the idea of Haaland rubbing his lips. That was a great... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You tell me you don't do that when you don't do that. Rubbing, licking, of course, licking, licking his lips your lips, prospect. rubbing your hands, both. Exactly. Um, yeah, I. Um, yeah, it is going to be interesting. I would kind of guess that City would come at it kind of high octane when they sort of play those really intense Champions League games and they start like mm. a like a a runaway train. Uh, but as you say, the danger of doing that is Arsenal have some pretty speedy players. Mm. Um, and Saka gave him a torrid time uh, in the the league game at the Emirates because Ake kind of did really well against him in the uh, in the FA Cup, and then mm. um, I can't remember did Bernardo end up going up against him in the league game? Did he go left back? That might have I been one of the ones so. that went left yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. And Ake was like centre back, maybe. Yeah, and that um, that kind of rings a bell. I've got the team up. But no yeah, Ake, of course, Ake this time did. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yes, exactly. So, well, we expect, um, we expect. Anyway. Yeah, it, it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be really tough to contain Saka, and it's one of those things. He know, was amazing City, on Friday. Yeah, City have done so, so well, kind of without fullbacks, but it's when you have those wingers, and Bayern Munich had two very good, very quick wingers, and they absolutely shredded City um, many, many times. So. It's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a really good battle. It, it's kind of what everyone wants to see. I'm sure you know two of the best teams in in the league um, going going at it where where the stakes are so high, um, and you know City will will back themselves. They're at home, but also you know City got such confidence from from beating Arsenal in the FA Cup and then beating them in the league. And that really sort of spurred them on. So, so if Arsenal are able to to beat City at the Etihad, then it, it's advantage them in the title all over mm. again. Yeah, of course. If you know, City win, they go two points behind with those two games in hand, as we've touched on. But if Arsenal win, of course, they go seven points. So it will be in their hands. Obviously, as you've touched on, that's a really hard run in when you're not in the greatest of forms anyway. But that could a win like that could be the boost, the boost you need. You know, Guardiola's already. He's been bigging it up like those Champions League games. You know, he's often before the big semi-finals because City have City fans have a weird relationship with the competition. You wait for him, whatnot. They're not. They're usually not as up for it or care as much. I'd say as Guardiola does. I think that's changed now, but certainly a few years ago. And he's had to kind of g them up for it and you know get the the welcome parties and the the, the strong atmospheres before the games. And I think the fact that he's asking for that sort of treatment before. The game before the Arsenal game shows how important, and you know we we all know it's important, of course. But even Guardiola's kind of acknowledging it as such with his own kind of pleas for him to come down. I think he's even asked for them to be there three hours before kickoff, which is quite a request, I must say, for a, what an eight o'clock kickoff on a Wednesday afternoon. I know, I know, I'll be in work, Pep. I don't know what you think everyone else will be doing, but he spoke at length after the FA Cup final about how big it is. It's a final against a team who's been the best in England. He wants the whole of Manchester to be blue. Don't think you'll get much luck there either. But um, <laughs> it's clear how important he sees it and he's trying it already. I can't wait to see what he says on Tuesday ahead of the match either. It seems like he really wants that sort of intense European atmosphere. You know, the atmosphere is like usually say to the biggest Champions League games. He wants that on Wednesday. Yeah, and um, like Bayern 
uh, last week that the fans were in 60, 90 minutes mm. before kickoff and created this huge atmosphere. And, you know, English football isn't, isn't quite like that. But equally, I, I think there was maybe a time when um, Guardiola would say things like he said and it was maybe as interpreted as a bit of a dig. But um, I think on certainly on this occasion and and a lot of others, it's just his way of saying this this is a huge game. We need everything. We need everyone. Um, you know, home advantage is a thing. So if City can uh, can make the most um, of of what's what what they've got, because you know as well that hopefully the weather's better than it was for um, the quarterfinal against Bayern Munich, because I think there were a few fan displays that had to be uh, kiboshed because of that. But you know the Guardiola needs to know that that the fans will will turn out in numbers and in volume for for their fans and also you know when Arsenal played in the the cup game in January they they had more support because FA Cup you get more for the away fans whereas it would be more partisan in in favour of City this time so you know the, it will help the team if if the fans make that make that count and you know you would expect it to because um they have they have all season really. Mm. Do you expect a simple lineup, kind of the Bayern team with Laporte in at left back, or any any wild card? Has yeah. Gomez been primed for it? Is Gomez, uh, is Gomez going to be trusted with Saka? Do you reckon? Could you see a left field choice like that out of nowhere? <laughs> be very funny. I'd love to see the breakdown on social media whenever I'm stressing <laughs> out about Phillips comes in for that game or something. It's good. It's, oh, surely you know it's what? just simplicity. The one wild card I would um, have confidence in would be Rico Lewis at left back because I just think he would have the best chance of containing Saka but I can't see mm-hmm. it I think like you say it'll be the be the Bayern team um, I yeah I'd be interested because Bernardo is probably the best um, at sort of helping out his his defender um, so whether Bernardo might move to the left but then Grealish is Grealish has made the left his own and is also very mm. good and hardworking and maybe a bit of uh, English um, teammate rivalry can, uh, mm. can spur Grealish on against against Saka. And the final question, maybe the hardest of all, what <laughs> score is it going to be? 2-0. Two 2-0 nil. Two nil oh, City, I think. I think I'll go. I, I, I always thought they'd beat them even if they wouldn't. You did? Even if mm. they didn't go on to win the league. Um, and I think with the form that they're in, I think they'll... They'll prove too strong for them. I'm gonna go three one and let's, you know, let's see how it all plays out. It's gonna be the big one. We waited so long for it and it's finally here. It's like Christmas. We can't wait to watch it. We can't wait to talk about it later on this week. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Talking City podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. If you want to watch this in living colour and see me rub my lips in anticipation of Wednesday's game, you can just go over to YouTube, Manchester Evening News slash Manchester City. And of course, for all the well, all the build-up to the match, all the coverage of it live in action and all the fallout, you know where to go. It's manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You can get it all, all our articles and stories straight into your feeds on Twitter at Man City MEN and Facebook, Manchester Evening News dash Man City. As I say, we'll be back hopefully later on this week to be talking about an amazing game and hopefully a good result for City in the quest for that treble. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for listening. It's goodbye for now. Ta-ra. <laughs>